So our speaker this morning is Trevor. And Trevor spoke so well last week. And so I'm going to invite him up to speak again this week. And I was so touched. Yeah, give him a big clap. You know, I've been talking to some people and I said, one of the things I love about Trevor is he just loves God to bits. He doesn't have agendas. He uh, doesn't have an ego. He just, he's just a guy who just loves God and wants to share God's goodness with other people and just bless other people. And what more is there in life than that? And he's a good look. Like, look at this guy. He's good looking. Almost as good looking as me. Uh, what, actually, when I grow up, I want to be just like him. So here's the mic. Uh, you flatter me, fella. You do. You do. Good to be here this morning. Very good to be here. And uh, good for so many to make it out on a rough day, and especially after a rough night last night. Not just here, but in Perth as well. I'm going to read you some, uh, some prayer letters that kids have written to God. First one is, Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. From Jenny. Dear God, my brother told me about being born, but it just doesn't sound right. Dear God, who draws the lines around the countries? Signed, Jack. Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? <laughs> Neil. Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw your sunset on Tuesday. That was cool. From Eugene. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other if they had their own rooms. <laughs> it works with me and my brother. <laughs> Dear God... If you watch me on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes from Ricky. And the last one. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all the people in the world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it from Robert. Ain't kids a blessing, eh? Until about 30 minutes before you have to leave for church. Mums and dads, don't we know that? Something happens on a Sunday morning that doesn't happen any other day of the week. Satan hates Sunday mornings, doesn't he? Hey, <laughs> We had, got, trying to get three girls ready for church. No, sorry, two girls. I won't involve Viv in that because <laughs> I want a home to go home to tonight. <laughs> two girls and... I don't know about, about boys, but girls, we had to have, each girl had to have three changes of clothes in the morning before we walk out the door, get down to the car, oh, my top didn't go with my tights, you know, or, or they change again, and, and I wore this last week, you know, so it just, it's a, ch a constant change, three changes before we walked out the door to get in the car. Oh, my guys, guys are okay. I mean, we could wear the same clothes three weeks in a row. I don't know, is Matt Grindley here this morning? No, he's, it's not easy getting 17 girls out the door to church. <laughs> Matt is a legend, you know. I mean, he comes in, when he does come in, he looks 
I mean, he looks like the All Blacks looked when they walked off the field last night, you know, except Matt's won, but only just, you know. But um, Sunday mornings aren't easy, are they? You know, I think um, sometimes the, the cutest and the most divine kid has become demon-possessed on a Sunday morning. How many of us, how many of us parents find ourselves with, the, with our hands around the child that we love dearly and we say, well, we're going to church to hear about the love of Jesus. <laughs> and we do, don't we? So last week we talked about prayer, really an introduction, and I'm going to ask Jenny to come and just uh, share a poem that she's written. Jenny, if you can do that, and then we'll carry on after that. Thanks. Back up plan. Awful cough. <laughs> Um, most of you will have seen that ad on TV about um, killing mould and the slogan is spray and walk away. Well, after listening to Trevor on Sunday, on Monday morning I woke up and in my head was this pray and walk away. <laughs> so this is what followed and I hope it encapsulates what he said. I'll try not to say it in that accent. <laughs> so... I've been praying about this problem, and I really do believe that Father God is listening, and he knows every need. I remind him of his promises. I say, it's in your hands. I can completely trust you because I know you understand. But days turn into weeks and months, and the problem just gets worse. So I do a little whinging, and I quote him a Bible verse. Friends tell me God answers prayer, and I know this to be true. But he doesn't have my time frame or even my point of view. No and wait are answers that I often don't want to hear. And when I can't see God working, I can give up in despair. I forget that God's agenda doesn't have to fit with mine. He's not obliged to answer in a specific way or time. He's not my own good fairy to force my wishes on. He's a loving, gentle father who only ever longs to draw me even deeper into relationship with him. So my prayers can't be demands, just conversations to begin. I must simply trust he's got this. I can pray and walk away. And if I persist in anything, it's knowing him more each day. Thanks, Jenny. How many of us can re remember the takeaway line we had last week? How many? Anybody? Who was here last week? <laughs> what was our takeaway line last week? Prayer is not, not a button to be pushed, but a what? A relationship to be pursued. Okay, we talked about how often we... We come to God asking for stuff and one of the misunderstandings of prayer is that uh, we push the button and God dispenses with, according to the selection we've made and how that uh, many people end up disappointed and disillusioned uh, with prayer and with life and with God because the, the vending machine hasn't dispensed what we thought it should when we thought it should. And in fact, how many people can be, uh, the spirits can be crushed because... Um, God hasn't supplied the way that we thought or were told he should supply. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be the, 
the job that we've missed out on, or maybe a friend who's or a loved one who's died of cancer, or maybe a child that was stillborn. Sometimes our prayers are not answered like that. And we looked at that that kind of thought that or that comment that sometimes people make, and that is that prayer works. And prayer doesn't always work just because we get what we ask for. But prayer does work when we're pursuing the relationship. And so if you haven't heard the podcast, it might be interesting to go back and listen to that um, for last week. But um, God does intervene in our lives. And we talked about how there are times when supernaturally he comes in and uh, he... he, um, he supplies our needs, he provides, he, he brings miraculous healing. Sometimes the, we see a, a, a real glimpse of the life to come, of, of heaven as it breaks into our world and we see the goodness of God flow there in miraculous ways. And we know that uh, if we pray regularly, irregular things happen on a regular basis. So I want to encourage us, part of the encouragement was last week, was to pray regularly. But of course we can't, uh, we can't kind of put God in a box and always expect him to do what we want him to do. We can't demand of God and we can't, we can't, do, we can't bargain with God. A little bit like the little Italian boy who wanted a, a PlayStation for his birthday. And so in order to get the PlayStation, he was going to do a deal with God. And he, so he, writes down, he sits down on his bed and he gets a piece of paper and he writes down and he says, Dear Jesus... I will be a good boy for six months if I get a PlayStation for my birthday. And then he looks at what he's written down and he thinks, no, I cannot be a good boy for six months. That's too long. So he throws the paper in the bin, starts again, says, dear Jesus, I will be a good boy for three months if I get a PlayStation for my birthday. He looks at it and says, no, I can't do that. Throws it away, starts again, dear Jesus, I will be a good boy. Then he gets a brainwave. So he goes downstairs to the family living room, and there on a mantelpiece on the shelf is a figurine or a statuette of Mother Mary. So he takes the statuette upstairs, wraps it carefully in a blanket, and puts it under his bed. Gets a piece of paper again, and he writes down, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) Right, this morning... This morning we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, specifically at the Lord's Prayer as we, as we wrap up this two, two Sundays on, on praying. So what I'd like us to do is to stand, and rather than me read the passage, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer, okay? Is that right? Cool. Because we all know it, of course, don't we? We might know a different version, but we all know the Lord's Prayer, okay? Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive them that sins against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your one is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Ever and ever. Amen. Great. Sit down. As far as we know, the disciples never went to Jesus and asked him to show them how they could teach. They never went to Jesus and said, well, can you show us or teach us how to run a Sunday service? But they did go to Jesus and said, can you show us how to pray? 
And generally you, you ask of someone what they are accomplished at or what they've had good experience in. I mean, if I wanted to learn to play drums, and there's an idea, um, I would ask Murray Middleton, right? So the disciples had recognised Jesus had a strength in prayer. They'd seen the times he'd, he'd um, left the crowds for a while or, and even walked away from their, their kind of company and gone to spend time in prayer. And so they go to Jesus, or one of them, we're told that at least one of them went to Jesus, and we assume that he went on the behalf of the others. And he said, can you teach us how to pray? And so those are the words that we have just recited. And in a few short sentences, these, these words remind us and they encourage us and they challenge us on the basic elements of our faith. In fact, later on in the New Testament, the teachings of the Apostle Paul are all embodied in just these few short words. And they're words not just for the church or for people, for us, for God's people, but when when you dig into the words, they, they are words that actually make a lot of sense for those who don't adhere to the Christian faith. Words that would make it would, would help us and assist us in living really well. And the the efforts that have been made to, um, I guess, remove the Lord's Prayer from the public place, it's been done by politicians and uh, and and people and, and who make and decision makers. The, the 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 move to do that has actually taken away some of the really important and significant aspects of how we're to live and to live well. And it's been done so that we, we can embrace all faiths. And I don't have a problem with that, and we, but, and we don't want to alienate anybody. But in doing so, and in wanting to remove the God of the Christian faith, we've actually removed some of the principles of what it means to live well and to live well together and to live well on this planet. Things like, we'll get into it in a minute, but areas like um, our real needs. What, is that, what does that mean, our daily needs? How would, if we unwrap that as a culture, as a society, what would that mean in terms of equality or greed or, or poverty? Our real needs, praying for our real needs. What does it mean when we about relationships, about the way that we, we live together harmoniously when we, when we know what it's like to forgive one another? What about our real our enemy, the one who would hinder us and, and, and create barriers for us living well and living well together? And so Jesus suggests that to the disciples that this is the way they should pray. And without it being formulaic, I'm going to, if we can just have the next one up there, without it being formulaic, I'm going to, there are many ways to unwrap the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to suggest this way this morning, make it a bit easier. But we firstly, we talk to the Father about the Father, okay? His person, his position, his program. Now, when we, when we say our Father, we could, we know that he is our 
He is the creator. He is the master of the universe. He's the one who rides the heavens. He is the one who, who sits on high. He's the majestic one and all that. We know that. But the words of this prayer say that we come to him as our father, as our father. Now, sometimes I, I can't, when I'm praying, sometimes I cannot get past there. Now, I, I recognize that some of us, I had, a, I had a wonderful father, and sometimes our, our interpretation of who God is, of course, is determined by the relationship we have with our dad. I read a story yesterday about a young man who, well, he was 50, 50 years of age, which is relative, I guess, being young, isn't it? But he, the last he saw of his dad was the back of the car going down the driveway when he was six years old. And his father had walked out of him. And, and, I, and I understand that sometimes in a, in a meeting like this, there can be people whose, whose understanding of father is not what the Bible says father should be. And yet the Bible says that, that God is the father to the fatherless. And the Bible spends a lot of time and it's a, a lot of emphasis on talking about the love and the care that God has for the orphans and for the widows. And so firstly, we come to him as our father. When the Christians you know, in the first century started to influence people groups, they couldn't understand, they just couldn't register with this loving God as a father. Because to them, uh, gods were gods who, who hated, who took, who killed, who destroyed. I mean, if your, if your child died, it was the God's fault. If your crops failed, the God's caused it. And so he was a God who was one God, but he loved. He was a father. And they just couldn't, they couldn't recognize that. And yet he is. He's our father. The um, events of the Christchurch massacre in March uncovered some interesting thoughts about Islam compared to Christianity and uh, some comparisons and, and kind of differences between the two faiths. And one of the comments I heard a couple of times was that it's okay because we both worship the same God. Did, you, did any of you hear that comment at all about during that time? And that is not true. Because, in fact, they are not the same God, but it might be more accurate or more correct to look at our concept of God. Because if Pete and I were 100 metres down the road, Pete Muller that is, were 100 metres down the road, you could look at us from a distance and say, well, I mean, who, who is that? You know, I mean, and you might struggle to define the difference, right? But you get us up close and you see that there is a difference. Pete's younger than me, you know. In fact, there was a time in a cafe where Kerry, Pete's wife, couldn't tell us apart. It was very embarrassing. Not just for us, but for the whole cafe. <laughs> and so there is a difference. The, the, God, the God of the Christian faith, the God of the Bible is relational. His love is unconditional. It's universal. It's impartial. Yet the God of Islam loves, his, doesn't, loves those who fear him. The God of Islam doesn't love his enemies or those who are against him. 
the God of Islam is selective into, uh, for who he loves. You have to earn his love. And yet we know that the God of the Bible sent his son to die on the cross for us. His love is impartial. It's unconditional. Shabir Akhtar was a, is a Muslim scholar from the Oxford University. And he said these words about his faith. He said, Muslims do not see God as their father. Men are servants of a just master. They cannot, in orthodox Islam, typically attain any degree of intimacy with their creator. Now, isn't that a lot different from the start of this prayer that says, Our Father? Isn't it different from John 15, 15 that says, I, to, I used to refer, I don't refer to you as my servants, this is Jesus speaking, but you are my intimate friends. So he's a loving father. This also tells us what, what is really the center of the universe. It's been said that Albert Einstein made this statement, and I can only assume that is the case, but he made this statement and it's been um, echoed by, other, by philosophers, and he said this, the most important question that, we, that mankind can ask individually, and collectively, the most significant question that we can ask is this. It's, is the universe a friendly place? Now, when you think about that question, I want you you think about that question in terms of the people, the culture that we live in, the people that we talk to. That can make a big difference in the way that we articulate our faith and our knowledge and understanding of God in this universe. Is the universe a friendly place? Does it tell us about original sin or original goodness? Tell us about how we relate to the universe that God has placed us in? Do we use science and technology uh, to, to fight against or to protect us from an unfriendly universe? Or do we use science and technology to help us live harmoniously with the universe that God has created for us? See, the, see what I'm saying? And so that, that question really puts God, a loving God, at the centre of our universe. Centre of our universe, a friendly universe, is centred around a loving Father. Right. There are other aspects of the Father too. Of course, he's our Father. We're part of a, a loving family. Isn't that right? We're together in this. It's community. Father also defines my identity. We... Um, our identity is tied up with lineage, where we're from. Often in our world, identity is tied up with what we do. You go to a party or a function and you first, one of the first questions you ask is, hey, what do you do? And it kind of, it's a bit of a, a breaker with you know, getting to know people, but at the end of the day, we refer to people as, as what their job is or what they do. But in the Old Testament, biblical times, it was tied up with your lineage. When David... Uh, was approached by Saul after he had killed Goliath. Saul says to him, tell me about your father. Our identity is tied up with who, with who our father is. And this is, we carry his genes. We've been made in his image. That's our identity. Right, the second question or the second 
Oh, no, hang on. The, just, can we just go back to the other slide? That would be good. We talked to the father about his person, which we've done. We talked to the father about his position. In other words, he's hallowed is his name. And, and his name, in, in, um, in the Middle East, you don't name a child because it might kind of be like your great auntie or it might rhyme with your second name or something like that. You name a child because you want the character of the child to grow into that name. Remember Sarah and Sio who were here a few weeks ago? Their, name, their son's name, Luca, his, his middle name was, was Brave because they wanted their son to grow into the name Brave. And Jesus is saying that the father's name is holy. That's his character. He's above all. He's, he sits above all. He's perfect. And we also know that his kingdom will not come until the realms that his kingdom is to come into recognises his name is holy. Right? Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All right. Now we talk to the Father about his program. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It would be a little... Um, I guess we can't really go and talk about the, the kingdom that is coming elsewhere unless we look at what's happening with the kingdom in the few square metres of space that I occupy. And it starts in my life. Does his kingdom rule here in, in, in me? In other words, are the parts of my life, are there rooms of my life that have yet to be opened up to him? Are there areas of my life that, that are closed off? Maybe um, my, some of my thought life. Maybe some of the jokes that I'm willing to listen to. Or perhaps some of the things that I do when, when no one else is around. What areas of my life are not under his rule? What areas of my life are not under his lordship? And so the first part of the kingdom coming is what does he occupy in here? Have I closed off or have I opened up and said, God, you're free to reign in every area of my life. And then we've got to look at the area of influence that we have, the, the space that God has given us to live in, the place we work, the place we, we have as home, of course, the place we, we're educated, wherever that may, may be at every stage of life, what is the influence I'm having in the world that God has placed me in that really says his kingdom is coming, your kingdom come? And then we look at the wider world of, 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 our, of our universe that God has placed us in. Firstly, it's here. Secondly, it's there. And then it's out there. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. All right. Okay. Now we can talk. The, Jesus is saying, now that we've talked to, the, talked to the Father about the Father, we can now talk to the Father about his children, about us. And so the first one is provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus is referring here to the necessities of life. Bread, it's a necessity. It certainly was then and it is now, I guess. That's the picture. And he was probably alluding to the, the picture of the Old Testament where God provided on a daily basis manna from heaven for the children of Israel so, as they wandered through the desert. And as they, as they, every morning when they woke, there was manna on the ground. 
and it was like a, wa- a kind of a honey-flavoured wafer. And if they tried to keep that manna for a day or for the next day, it would be spoiled, it would rot. And so Jesus is saying here, daily bread, pray for this day. Now, for many years, scholars couldn't work out what the meaning of daily was until some archaeologists were doing some excavating and they found a piece of papyrus which had on it what appeared to be a woman's shopping list. Sorry, I'm being sexist there. It could have been just a shopping list, I know. But the male was out fighting, cutting heads off of other people. The woman had the shopping list. That was the, that was the pink job in those days. Do you have pink jobs in your family? We have pink jobs and blue jobs in our family. So back 2,000 years ago, this woman's blue job, the pink job, was to do the shopping. She had the list. Anyway, on the list, I'll start again. On the list, besides some of the items, was this word daily. And it meant perishable. In other words, you bought it just for the day. And you had to go and buy the same thing again tomorrow. It lasted just for the day. So Jesus is saying, you pray for today what you need for today. In fact, later on in Matthew, he encourages us and says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. Today is today. Now, there are three things there which I think we just want to look at in terms of God's us praying for God's provision, three levels. One is, we only need to pray for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the next day, today. And it's the basic necessities of life. We're not praying for a new swimming pool for the backyard or a flash car. We're praying for the necessities of life. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. What it means is that if I get given more than I need... I share it in the community. Now, we're probably a little bit more well-off than what the people 2,000 years ago were, and sometimes they just didn't have enough. And so the, the us meant that when God gave me and I had more than enough for that day, I could give it to my brothers and sisters. All right. Number two is pardon. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us or who trespass against us. I wonder if these two um, requests are kind of linked. Uh, Give us and forgive, you know. But probably shows us a little bit about how self-absorbed we can be because I would find it easier always to ask for something, ask for provision than to ask for forgiveness. Isn't that right? Especially when it involves forgiving someone who's wronged me. Now, I think if we're really honest and we're really sincere when we pray and ask God to to forgive us, what we're really doing is is we're lowering ourselves and we're saying, God, I'm I'm broken. I've wronged. I've sinned. I'm polluted. I need you to forgive me. 
And that puts us in a position where we can more easily understand and actually forgive others as well. I would say it's pretty self-righteous for us, nigh on blasphemous, to ask God for forgiveness, but then be unwilling to extend forgiveness to someone else. There is a connection between us asking God to forgive us and then be willing to extend forgiveness to others. A real connection there. And we're not saying that, that God, uh, God forgives us because we forgive others. What it's saying is that God forgives us as we forgive others. Right. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Experiencing the forgiveness of God is, is an opportunity and a motivation to forgive and to offer our, um, the reconciliation with others as well. We must forgive 70 times 7. We know that, that God himself has taken our sins and buried them in the deeper sea. And we've got to do the same thing. And if we don't, if we cherish, if we cherish sin like that, we, we run the risk of our own prayers not being heard. All right, last one. Protection. Lead us not into temptation. If we... I was talking to someone last week about this line and kind of it's a hard one to grab your head, to get your head around, but if we... Does this mean that if we don't pray it that God actually leads us into temptation? No. It doesn't mean that at all. What it, what it does mean is that, that God actually... See, Satan is the one who, who puts the traps in our way. He's the one who tempts us. He's the one who, who trips us up. And what, it, what, the, what the verse is saying is that God give me the power to, 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 and the strength to walk past the traps that Satan has put in, in my way. And... The, the traps that we, if we don't pray this prayer, if we don't pray this prayer as the Lord's prayer, I wonder if we would really pray, leave me not in temptation. Because I think many times we enjoy the fantasy of temptation, don't we? If we're really honest. See, we like the risk. Temptation itself, is what we would rather pray is, is God... May there be no consequences when I slip into temptation. <laughs> but saying, leave me not there. I don't want to go there. Because we fantasize. We, we, we kind of, we, we, we want to stand close to the edge and we want to know what it's like. And, 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 and we think about it. And that's why the, the edge is a risky place. You've seen, you've heard stories of young couples who will be trying to take a selfie on the edge of a cliff and they're embracing, having a kiss and lose balance and fall over. The edge is a risky place. And yet we like it there sometimes, don't we? Because temptation is a risk. It's kind of an excitement there. Maybe that's why some guys like to just have a sneak look at that porn website. Just a sneak look. It's just, a, it's just a little, you know, I won't do any harm. 
And maybe that's why we, we sometimes hear women um, in muted tones say, shall we go to Queensgate? You know? Now, guys, I want to warn you guys, don't go to Queensgate. I'll come, I'll come right out and say it. Look, um, Satan made Queensgate more. I've been there, and a weak point of my life, I went to Queensgate. They have these chairs, these bench seats, down the concourse, and only men sit there. <laughs> While their wives have yielded to the temptation of going shopping. You've seen it, haven't you? They're old men. But they weren't old, they were young when their wives placed them there. You've seen that, haven't you? I saw one old man, I saw one who had cobwebs hanging off him. You know. In fact, last week apparently the police went in with a body bag to take, he was de- decomposing and his, his wife had left him there for 23 years while she'd gone shopping and, and he left to die on a wooden seat. Tragic, don't go there. There are verses in Proverbs that warn us about going shopping in Queensgate Mall. No, there's not. But guys, there are verses and proverbs that warn us about the temptation that we're most susceptible to. The colourful language of proverbs might call that temptation the prostitute or the harlot or the seductress or the immoral woman who's dressed to for temptation. Probably our relevant word today is pornography. Don't go there. Yield not to temptation. Deliver me from temptation. This is not a prayer where we are saying, God, stop us from being naughty boys and girls. This is a prayer that's acknowledging that the enemy of our souls will want to destroy us. And sitting on the edge, looking over at the fantasy, does that to us. The edge is a dangerous place. The Bible says that Satan is looking around like a hungry, roaring lion, looking for those he can devour, doesn't it? What does he want to devour? He doesn't want to devour our flesh or our, or our muscles, but he devours our faith. That connection, that bond that we have, that link that we have with God the Father, he wants to sever it, he wants to fracture it. And some of us probably know what that's like, to have that fractured, at least for a moment of time or a period because we've got so close to the edge, we've fallen for a while. What this verse is saying, I think, is this. I'm not trying to simplify it, but I'm trying to make it easy for us to grab. And that is, God, when I have the inclination to sin, please take away the opportunity. And when the opportunity confronts me, please take away the inclination. When we pray that prayer, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Probably more correct to say, deliver us from the evil one. Because behind every temptation is the tempter. Behind every deception, there is deceiver. So that's it. So can I just wrap up very briefly the last couple of weeks? And I want to encourage us, firstly... 
there are three, the three R's we talked about last week in terms of how we view prayer. It can be a ritual, it can be a routine, or it can be the rhythm of my life. And I want to suggest that, in fact, I want to guarantee you, I want to guarantee that if you make a shift from prayer just being an obligation to being a routine to being something that's tedious and mundane and boring and you do it because you feel you have to do it and you're used to do it and you've been told to do it. If you shift from prayer being that but to being the rhythm of your life where it's something that you commence but you live and you journey every day, this relationship, this pursuit of God, if you walk in that way and have his life infuse you on a constant basis, I want to guarantee that your life would be changed. Guarantee it. And this church would see things happen that we haven't seen before. And our community would be changed as well. So use, I encourage you, there are many ways that we can pray. We can pray the Psalms, but this model here, the template that Jesus has given us as the Lord's Prayer, is a really helpful way to pray. Covers everything that we need to cover. And when we do that, our lives will be changed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you our Father. We thank you that you have paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we can call you Dad, that we can come to you in in adoration and love and knowing that you're the Holy One. You died for us. You sent your Son to hang on a cross so that we could live. We thank you for that. We thank you for the promises that you've given us, for the way that you intervene in our lives. Thank you that you want us to pursue you, that you indeed pursue us. We pray that as we we just um, think a little bit more about these the words of this prayer that you've given us as a model to pray, we ask that our lives would be changed, that we become different people, that indeed, God, we would see you working within us and through us in ways that we haven't experienced before. We ask your spirit to visit us in a new way. Even this week, if we even this week, as we as we do something different with our prayer life and treat it as a rhythm, not as a routine or a ritual, but something that puts life into us, we ask that you would speak to us. Change us and change the world in which you've placed us. In Jesus' name. Amen. How about we give Trevor a big clap?